Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. I wonder how you guys react to circumstances of inconvenience, such as air conditioners breaking. I wonder, like, you know, what happens when your car breaks down? Sort of was unexpected, the car breaks down, or you get a flat tire. It's like something's not right here, kind of upset, kind of irritated. What about whenever you go to McDonald's and the ice cream machine is being cleaned again, right? Like, I, I, re- I saw this post that was like, they should lower the McDonald's flag to half staff whenever they're cleaning the ice cream machine. Isn't it frustrating to get halfway through the drive-thru? And then you find out that the ice cream machine doesn't work. And they're like, well, do you want a burger? And it's like, no, I wanted the ice cream. But, but what's your reaction to, like, inconveniences, such as an air conditioner breaking? It turns out, you know, I, 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 this thing broke a lot sooner than I thought it was going to break. But what I've realized, and the way this touches today, is I think most of us, when we experience an inconvenience... We don't think about how we're going to navigate the inconvenience. It's just, let's just get it over with. Let's get the inconvenience over with. Let's not think about how we are being formed through this or how we would personally navigate this or what we could become in the process of it. Most of the time, we're just irritated. If you're like me, you're just entitled and you're mad that that anything should not work for you now. But the problem with this is that if we don't consider how we navigate inconveniences, many of us are not familiar with how to navigate real suffering, such as the loss of a loved one. And we're just not really prepared to to think through how to navigate uh, suffering such as the loss of health. And we experience it in all the, the weight of something dropping on us. We've not thought, who do I want to be as I go through this? Who is God shaping me to be? That often in our lives, we think of suffering as some meaningless thing to endure. But is there anything about Christian faith that helps us navigate suffering? How are we supposed to navigate it? We're in this series this summer through 1 Peter, and I've told you that Peter's writing this letter to to. Christians who have been exiled to the furthest reaches of the Roman Empire. And and he's writing to encourage these Christians uh, as a minority group in a place that is not supportive of their faith. And so as he's writing this letter, one of the things that he's he's trying to tell them how to do is to live in a place uh, so as to not draw too much scrutiny. How can I get along with the people around me without compromising the gospel? And so today, what I want you to see is that Peter instructs his audience to suffer well by holding to the hope of the resurrection. Suffer well by holding to the hope of the resurrection. I'm calling today's message, How Can I Suffer Well? Would you pray with me? And then we're going to turn to Scripture. So Lord, I do just welcome you into this space. And Lord, we just say that we need you. That nothing we do today will have any consequence or any meaning if you don't show up. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come. 
I ask, Lord, that you would fill me with your presence, that you would empower this word. And, Lord, that, that everything that, that happens today, Lord, would, be, uh, would point back to you, that it would be all glory to you. Lord, would you come and have your way in Jesus' name? Amen. So we're looking at 1 Peter in chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to just pick right up where we left off. How many of you are like reading through this or have several times this summer? number of you. Is it like coming alive for you? Ish. Some of you. Right on. All right. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, says this. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. You know, I told you last week that Peter, in this little section of scripture, from the middle of chapter two till roughly part of next week, is giving very tactical instruction to these Christians. He's saying, this is for you for now. And what I said last week is that we have to discern what is the sort of eternal principle of what it is that Peter is saying. Because like we said last week, we're not encouraging people to engage in slavery, and yet Peter tells slaves to submit to their masters. There's something about the way Peter is describing uh, to these Christians how to live life that, that isn't immediately applicable without some work on our behalf or on our part. And so what I said last week is that the purpose that Peter has, is that his main purpose is the furthering of the gospel. That primarily what Peter is after is wherever Christians go, the gospel should go. The gospel should spread. That people should come to faith in Christ because Christians were there. 
And so his counsel all along has been, don't make too many waves so as to get yourselves uh, noticed by the authorities. So over the past two weeks, uh, two weeks, we've seen how Peter navigates this, right? In the, fir- the very first week, he said, you know, submit to, to the emperor, give honor to the emperor. And last week, he was talking about submit to, to slaves, submit to your masters. And, and all of this he's saying is for the sake of the Lord, So when we get to our passage today, he's gone through all of the household stuff. This is how you should operate in a household. And now he's giving very general counsel to the whole body of believers. And what he says in essence is, you have been called to suffer well. You have been called to suffer well. Look again at verse 9. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. He says, your calling is to suffer well. Look again at verse 13 and 14. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what's right, you are blessed. And verse 17. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Peter... Suffering means resistance faced in in the effort to do something right. It's resistance that you face for doing what's right. And it could mean any number of things. It may mean that you're physically assaulted for doing what's right. It may just mean that you lose out on business opportunities for doing what's right. It may mean that you're ridiculed. I was having a conversation. I forget who I was having this conversation with. But most of, if I were to say suffering as a follower of Jesus in America, most of the suffering that I have ever faced is people just think I'm an idiot for believing in something I can't see. Some people make, make jokes about that. That's, that's suffering in this case. Suffering maybe is just, is, is just saying, facing the, 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 uh, the conversation that you have to have when you say, hey, I follow Jesus, so I'm not going to do the things you guys are doing. That's suffering, right? At some level, internally, you are forced to go, gosh, I want these people to like me. I want to go along with what they're doing. Is there a way I can do the thing and still be faithful to Jesus? No, there's not. They're not going to like me. Hey, that's, y'all do that. I, I'm not going to do that because I follow Jesus, right? There's an internal suffering that happens. For Peter, it's not so much about what exactly happens in the suffering, it's that you have faced resistance for doing what's right. And what's important to note is that Peter expects the life of a Christian to be marked by suffering. For some of you, that may come as a surprise. We live in a, in a culture that sort of grew up this idea of the prosperity gospel, that no Christian should ever suffer or should ever have any hardship, that you should always have everything you ever wanted. One of the things I would say is missing in so much Christian discipleship in America is teaching on suffering. How many of you, when was the last time you listened to a message where somebody taught you how to suffer as a Christian? When was the last time we did a a discipleship study on how to suffer well? We like to pretend like it's not a real thing. But in countries all over the world, one of the first lessons that a Christian, a new believer gets is here's how to endure suffering. The reason 
is because for most people around the world, there's a significant cost to saying yes to Jesus. It's a cost of family. It's a cost of community. It's a cost of relationship. Most of us don't experience that. You give your life to Jesus and you go home and your mom is like, ah, oh, whatever. I, I'm not into that, but hey, you know, if it makes you happy. But for most people around the world, to say yes to Jesus means you're cutting yourself off from your support system. You're maybe putting a target on your head because now you might be killed for your faith. Most of us don't experience that. In many, in many of our contexts, there's, there's not like this crystal clear, like I'm all the way in and it's cost me everything. Like I said last week, most of the time in our context, we can sort of choose how in or out we want to be. And nobody here really says much to you. If you build a, a faith, you know, we, we have this idea that we can build faith where there's no suffering at all. It's like, you know, I want Jesus, but only so far as I have to, 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 to not get the suffering that comes with it. I don't want to be too weird, right? We live in this culture where we can build a faith that exempts us from suffering, but whatever else it is, if you have a faith that exempts you from suffering, it's not Christian faith. That a life of following Jesus is marked by suffering. After all, we follow Jesus who said in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. You know, you and I may not face physical suffering for our faith, but what is certain is if you live with your sole allegiance to King Jesus, you will face some kind of resistance for that. What I have experienced, and this is just me, maybe you have different experience. What I have experienced is most resistance I have to living a kingdom life comes from people who want to call themselves Christians and live less than a kingdom life. That's what I experience here. People who want the name Christian, but they don't want to be kingdom people. That's where I experience it. And I don't know what your experience is in your own life. But if you don't suffer directly for your faith, there's not a person in the world that doesn't experience some sort of suffering. Like maybe it's not persecution for your faith, but maybe it's the loss of health or the loss of life. You know, I've had the opportunity recently to watch a number of people who have suffered for long periods of time with health. And even if you're suffering just for health, the temptation is not to do the right thing. Wouldn't it be easier just to not do the right thing? In my pain, you have to excuse that I'm going to be rude and off-putting. It would be easier. So even if it's not persecution and suffering for your faith, we're all going to experience suffering. Whether it's for your faith or some other, following Jesus means you take a position where you will experience resistance to doing the things that God calls you to do. And whatever, it, whatever form it takes, Peter says that you are blessed when you do what God tells you to do in the face of resistance. You're blessed. Now, if you're like me, 
I was thinking about this this morning. You know this word blessing. Do you know what it means? Nobody shakes their head yes. Do you know why? Because we're like, oh, any, any number of things could be blessing, right? I was thinking about this. So Peter says, I'll be blessed if I suffer for doing the right thing. And I'm so afraid of missing out on something awesome, because nobody defines what blessing means. I'm so afraid of missing out on something awesome that I'm probably going to do the right thing just so that I make sure I get the blessing. Anybody else like me? You like me? You're like, I don't know what the word means, but it sounds like a good thing. Peter says I'll get this blessing, so I'm going to do the right thing, even if I don't want to, right? Are you like this? You're like, I know I should be kind to you. Anybody do like that through gritted teeth? Am I the, I'm like, like just telling on myself. Everybody's like, oh, we didn't know about you. Now you do. But anybody else like that? You, you sort of like, you do the right things, but you're like so angry about it, but you're like, I know there's blessing on the other side. I'll shovel your driveway. Have a nice day. God bless you. Right? Anybody like that? Or, or you'll like do the right thing, even though you really, really, really want to do the wrong thing. I really want these people to like me. I really want to. So it's like, oh, gosh, guys, I really would go with you there. But I'm a Christian and I can't. But do you see, like, Peter describes, like, a whole other level. Did you catch this? Like, Peter describes a way of being that's far more elevated than I have ever been in my life. Did you catch this? Look at verse uh, 13. He says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Anybody been eager to do good in the face of suffering? Like, eager is a big word. That's like, a, that's like a, a high level, right? Like, I really want to do good even though I know you're going to repay me with evil. I really want to. I've, I'm eager for it. Or how about this one? Like, verses 15 and 16. He says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. How many of you show up in suffering and the way that you do the, the right thing in the face of suffering looks like hope? Not me, most of the time. Most of the time, if I've got to suffer, I'm struggling just not to be cynical and complain about it. But he's describing this way of being where we're eager to do good in the face of suffering and, and do, live life in such a way that it looks like hope. That people around would see the way that we suffer and would be compelled to go, why are you so hopeful? Does that describe you? Would people look at the way that you engage in suffering or in any sort of thing where, where you're, you're facing resistance and they would go, man, you look hopeful. I would bet for a lot of us that's not true most of the time. And you've met people like this, right? They're annoyingly hopeful. Have you met people like this? They look weird. They're like, you are entirely too joyful for this terrible thing that's happening right now. But they shouldn't look that weird. That should be the norm for Christians, or at least according to Peter, it should be. The way Peter is telling them to live in suffering is eager, hopeful, and kind. Eager, hopeful, 
and kind. And it's not doing it just in spite of resistance. It's, this is blessing those who curse you and meaning it. This is like genuinely wanting good for the people who are doing bad to you. This is like a whole other level, right? You see, this is a whole other level. This is like far beyond the way that I naturally live. And maybe, I might guess, the way that you all naturally live. So how do we become this kind of person? How do you become the kind of person who can engage in situations of suffering as a hopeful, kind, eager person even though we know that it's suffering that we're facing. How do we do that naturally? I want to look at this. Look back at verse 18 again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. That makes sense to you, right? That's clear? Good, good. And in it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, I don't have time to dig deeply into verses 19 and 20 today. If you want to have coffee and like just sort of nerd out on Genesis 6 and, and Noah and what this might mean, the imprisoned spirits, I'd be happy to like have coffee with you and we can, we can sort of postulate. But like, Scholars have a hard time with that passage because they're not really sure exactly what's being referred to. But what I do want to do is that Peter, I want to show you that Peter says something in the midst of this that is helpful to us. Peter begins the same way that he's begun before. He says, how do you engage in suffering? Well, your model is Jesus. So you suffer the way Jesus suffered. And that's what he said in the last chapter. He said, your model is Jesus, who gave up his life unjustly. That's your model. But he goes further this time. He says, you know, Noah lived at a time when everyone around him was living counter to God, was living in opposition to the way that God would call people to live. And it seemed like God wasn't doing anything about it. And yet Noah and his family was saved through the flood. And what Peter says is, this symbolizes baptism for you. You who are on the edges of the Roman Empire, who are being squeezed all around by pagan society that wants you to live in a way counter to the way God would call you to live. Your baptism is the same thing for you. That this is God saving you out of the midst of of the society around you. But it's not the act of getting your body wet. You know, we're gonna put a, a tub right here and baptize people next week. And the thing I say most of the time is this water is not magic. There's no magic to putting someone under the water that changes their entire life. 
What Peter says is the water's not magic. What saves you is the pledge of a clear conscience that you're making when you engage in the act of baptism. That your conscience, that there's nothing between you and God. That's what you're saying when you get baptized. You're saying, I have received the gift that God has offered me in Jesus. That we have nothing between one another. And we pledge to live from a place of a clear conscience. And he says, the other thing that saves you is that Jesus has been raised. That when you're baptized, you're baptized into Jesus' death, but you're also baptized into his resurrection. And so what he says is, Jesus, who has been raised, is now sitting in heaven with every power, every ruler, every authority subject to him. The hope that you have in the face of suffering is that you can appeal to Jesus, who has every power, every authority under his feet. And that he will one day make everything right so you can, you can respond to suffering with goodness because you can entrust judgment to Jesus. That's the hope that you have. Let me tell you why this is so important. Because if you don't have this hope, then it's all up to you. If you don't have this hope, that Jesus one day will make everything right, then every time someone wrongs you, you have to get them back. You have to settle the score. Every time somebody slights you, you have to get them back. You have to make sure that you one-up them. And this is how wars all across the continent, all across the globe are fought. They bombed us, we have to bomb them more. They attacked us. We have to make them pay. But because we have hope in Jesus who will one day settle the score, we can repay evil with blessing. We can stand in and offer someone blessing and goodness because we know it's not up to us. I don't have to keep track of the score. I can just offer goodness. I can just offer blessing. Do you know this is the same thing that empowers real forgiveness? Do you know that? If you're going to forgive someone and you don't have hope that God will one day settle the score... You're giving up the only right you have to settle the score. But if you have hope that Jesus will one day make all things right, that Jesus will one day settle the score, then you can forgive someone who does not deserve it because you know that Jesus will settle the score. That's the hope that you have. You want to be that crazy person who has hope in the face of evil, who has hope in the face of suffering, who's eager to do good even though you know what's coming your way is wrong? That hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus who was dead is now alive. That's the hope. We preach that on Easter every year. If you haven't noticed, that's my, my rhythm. I preach the same message every Easter. Come back at next Easter, it'll be the same. But the resurrection isn't just for Easter. The resurrection is for your whole life.
because you know death is not the end, that there's something beyond that, that Jesus was resurrected. So as I have been baptized into his death, so into his resurrection, I one day will be like he is. And I can trust him to be a just judge. That's how you go through suffering well. That's how you engage in suffering well. That you know that everything will one day be set right. As followers of Jesus, we're called to live a life that absorbs suffering and pays back in blessing. That's actually how we're kingdom people in the world. Do you know that? Our mission statement works just that way. That we're transforming the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel. We go into spaces and we absorb suffering and we pay back blessing. And all of that comes because we have hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.